Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me. ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN. We are back at it after a day of access with the Vikings on Friday at Rookie Camp, where we got to look at the 2017 draft class, we got to look at the undrafted free agents, we got to look at uh, some of the tryout guys that uh, to this point haven't resulted in any signings. They certainly could. Uh, but we also got a chance to hear what Mike Zimmer thought of the offseason in general and, and where the Vikings are headed, and that's kind of where we want to start today. Mike Zimmer talking Friday about some of the soul-searching he did in the offseason, some of the analysis he did of things that went wrong, things he needs to do different. And the upshot of that, I think, was something probably a little bit counter to what we expected. He said the main takeaway for him is that we need to get back to being the Vikings. We need to get back to being blue-collar. We need to, if we need longer practices, we have to go that way. If, if we need to practice two and a half hours and I'm not satisfied, then I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to be worried about how long the practices are, and then Brian Murphy of the Pioneer Press said, well, players might push back on that. He said, I'm, I'm not worried. They're not going to push back. So, guys, to start, what did you make of Mike Zimmer 2.0, if we want to call it that? I guess Mike Zimmer 2.0 is – maybe it's Mike Zimmer 3.0. That's the same as Mike Zimmer 1.0. I'm not sure what version we're on. But what did you make of it? What do you think it means in practicality for the Vikings in 2017? It's really different from the tone that he struck at the NFL Combine. Yes. Where he was talking about players coming to him and asking him to go about things a little bit differently when it came to handling players. And I found it to be interesting that as soon as he's back on a football field with the sunglasses and you know the, the Vikings jacket and all that, it's right back to, you know, we're going to be tougher and tougher and tougher. And I was under the impression that he was going to take a little bit of the Tom Coughlin route in New York where there were guys leaving the Giants saying, we don't ever want to play for this guy again. Tiki Barber saying that uh, Tom Coughlin made him hate football. And then he kind of changed his approach a little bit to how hard he was on the players. And that's when they sort of turned things around and won the Super Bowl. 
I kind of was thinking that Zimmer was going to take that path, and now I'm just confused. Now I don't know which way he's really going to go. And if I were to lay a wager, I would say he's just going to keep being Mike Zimmer. And he's going to keep being as hard on the guys as he was before. And when it comes to saying things in the media, I think when it gets hot or when players aren't playing how they should, that he'll still say what he thinks and speak his mind. And when they're winning, this will be okay. He'll be tough Mike Zimmer. And when they lose, it might not always go over so well. All the other stuff, I would love to have been a fly on the wall to hear what people told them about offense because he wanted to be more involved in the offense this year. And I doubt his meetings with coaches around the league were just about how to handle players and whether practices should be longer, right? I think that that's the number one thing in the Mike Zimmer era that will be remembered if it doesn't work out is the offenses that he had were never really all that explosive and they never found a way or that he could change that narrative if they have a good offense this year to say, boy, they loaded up with some weapons and a better line and then Zimmer was able to turn it around. I think this all comes back to a very, very simple thing. I think what he's trying to say now is to his players – Expect consistency. And I contend, as I I wrote for our site, I think this all revolves around one player, the Adrian Peterson rules. And I think it became very difficult when you have a player who plays a non-premium position and, and you're being tough on the rest of the team and yet you're going to Houston to beg this guy to come back and play for you and then this guy doesn't have to play in the preseason and this guy gets special treatment here and he gets two lockers there and you're trying to preach that I'm the hard-ass coach and, and I'm going to do this and that and then one player seemingly, I think, to the rest of the crew can walk all over you and your GM. I honestly think that what Zimmer's trying to say is I'm going to go back to being me. I'm a blue-collar type of coach, and there's going to be a level of consistency. Because the one thing I think that would confuse everyone, the athlete today, us, in our jobs, the fans, everybody, would be the fact that he works in a league where your star player should be the quarterback, right? I mean, that's your premium player. And so if there's going to be a special set of rules for anybody – and perhaps there should be, perhaps there shouldn't be. It's going to be the quarterback. I think the fa- I think the fact that Peterson got whatever he wanted, did whatever he desired, and and he got Peterson last year got criticized a little bit by Mike, but not really. I mean, he sort of took some sideways shots, but nothing like I have no idea what the hell this guy <laughs> was doing. I really think what Zimmer's trying to say is everybody in 2017 can expect consistency because that didn't exist as long as there was a special set of rules for an aging running back. That's my guess. Well, and it's interesting that all of this kind of started with him talking about I wanted to get us to the season healthy last year because I thought we had a pretty good team, and that sort of connects with some of the stuff we're talking about with Peterson. I had heard from a couple people at the end of the preseason last year that they were not necessarily thrilled with the shape Peterson was in, which I, I thought was kind of puzzling because I remember being down in Houston with him last summer and you know watching him. I thought, well, he looks like he's in great shape. He looks like the same guy as always. But I think when he got back up to Mankato and they're going light in practices and his training, I think by his admission, is not as rigorous as what he's doing with his own personal trainers. And then he's not playing the entire preseason. I, I think there was a feeling that he was not quite razor sharp going into the season. And I had heard that, okay, if he's back, the days of Adrian Peterson not playing in the preseason are done. So I think 
the, the seeds for that changing were already being planted as early as last September with him specifically. And then I think now that you're talking about the way everything went down last year, it, it does make sense to go back to something more like what the Vikings saw from Mike Zimmer in 2014 and 2015. And we didn't hear a lot of complaining at that point about him being too tough. We, you know, we certainly winning cures a lot of that, but we didn't really hear much of that last year either. I mean, until Ricky Ellison introduced that idea, we didn't really hear that. It was more of the, you hear things behind the scenes about, well, he's, he's being a little tough on players in the public and, and some of these things kind of leave guys scratching their heads a little bit. But I don't think him pushing too hard in practice was ever really part of the narrative. So I think it, to go back to what has worked in the past certainly makes sense from his perspective. On the Peterson thing, it stuck out to me that every defensive player we interviewed at offseason workouts said he had just signed with New Orleans. They all said, well, can't wait to hit him for once. It's like They just seemed to want to point out to us that he wasn't allowed to be hit. Like, yeah, it's like just, a quarterback almost. Right, just like just so you guys know, he was never allowed to be hit here, just right. saying, and uh, we look forward to that. So maybe there was a little resentment that everybody else in training camp is allowed to be hit in the preseason. They have to play, and one guy was above the rules, even though he was a declining star at that time. So th- that was interesting to me. And, I mean, consistency, I think, yes, is important, but I also wonder if what Zimmer was saying is, is just to say something that he didn't necessarily want to reveal what he found out from other coaches or really how he's going to approach the players. And the thing that you can always say in football that will go over pretty well with fans is we're going to be tougher. Yeah. But don't you guys think that if he learned one thing, my guess is his is Zimmer's greatest regret was criticizing players publicly and I don't I don't think players care if if you work them hard now if you work them to complete excess I get that yeah but if you're a demanding coach internally I don't think athletes for the most part care about that I think what probably rightfully so rubbed them the wrong way was the criticism of Sharif Floyd who it turned out they they screwed up in the operation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The criticism of Barr, which came sort of late, and, and then he went to great lengths to try and basically correct himself. And then, of course, the Green Bay game, when he's the one that started it, that whole thing. My guess is if veteran players came to him and said, okay, Mike, this didn't work. It's not that you privately worked us too hard. It's that you came out and publicly introduced schisms in the locker room for no reason. I'm, that's my guess. It's certainly more along those lines than than um, than working them too hard. I, you know, talking to players about that at the end of the season, it seemed like that was more the case than uh, than not. Uh, you know, Anthony Barr comes up as a guy quite a bit when we had this conversation. I mean, the, the, the comments that Mike Zimmer made about Anthony Barr having a tendency to coast, I think, uh, stuck out among some of the things he said last year. And we heard from Anthony Barr recently. Vikings, of course, picked up his option last week. Uh, they're they're in line to pay him like twelve point two million dollars in twelve point three million dollars, I believe it is, in twenty eighteen. If he's back on that option, which is kind of an interesting case because he's a top ten pick, so he's going to be paid like one of the best linebackers in the league. But the guys driving that salary up, I wrote about this last week, hmm. are guys that rush the passer. They're three four linebackers that get paid to sack the quarterback. That's not necessarily the way Anthony Barr plays. He talked a couple of weeks ago about how he knew what he needed to do to get back to being the guy that he had been in the past. 
he did not elaborate on that. But uh, what did you guys make of those comments, and, and uh, what do you expect from him in a, in a pretty big year for him? At least I think he recognized that last year was problematic because throughout the season we had heard from Mike Zimmer, no, 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 he just hasn't gotten lucky with splash plays. That's all it is. He's playing great. He's playing great. When the reality was he wasn't playing very well throughout the entire season and he wasn't making splash plays but he was also getting burned a lot in coverage and one thing that I think was it your ESPN stats and information pointed out is that he wasn't rushing the passer quite as often yeah as he was in the past and I wonder if that was by design from Mike Zimmer didn't want him to do that or if it was with just the scheme but that's where I think he's at his best when he's going after the quarterback when he's Involved in the double A gap blitz, right? I mean, that's what he does best. So I'd like to see him getting back to doing that more. The question becomes why, though? I, I wonder if it was because they got burned on a couple runs. Okay. that's That That would be my main thought. Uh, the one against Detroit comes to mind. The one yeah. against Chicago. Yep. We blame J. Ron Curse, but you're already at the second level there pretty quick. But on both those plays, he talked about how they got caught in a blitz. Right. So I wonder if they got a little gun-shy after that but interesting if anthony barr isn't blitzing he's not all that good in coverage but doesn't it but doesn't that whole defense um sort of revolve around the fact that Barr can do do so many different things it, isn't that part of the th- so i would think that the vikings are smart enough to if if you figure out that the bears have deducted what you're going to do for the next game or later in that game that you could transition to make a change in the look right because if you start to take bar and say, okay, you can't do this and that, you're really pulling back on, on his strength. So that surprises me. I, I would have thought that the Vikings defensively would have said, okay, we might have been figured out in this one and that one, but nonetheless, we're going to do things that allow you in bar to do as many different things as possible. So I'm surprised if they actually pulled him back because that makes no sense. At least to me, it doesn't. So then what do you do with him now? I mean, do you go back to trying to have him blitz more often? Do you work with him in coverage to make sure that he's... I thought he struggled in both man-to-man and in zone. And it seemed like they were trying to protect him with a lot of zone coverages, but I didn't think he did a great job with that. And that that was a criticism of his even coming out of the draft was, is he going to be an effective cover linebacker? Because in today's game, you really have to be good when it comes to coverage sure so if he's just a rusher then what role does he have i mean the role that and it's a lot of money to pay for it but the role that i see him best at is what brian robison did last year which is coming in in pass only situations and chasing after quarterbacks like robison would line up all over the place and mm-hmm. and just rush the passer i think that's probably where Barr is best but then you just picked up his fifth-year option, which means you're going to be paying him $12 million for just a guy who's going to be a part-time player. And I don't think that they see him that way, but I kind of see him that way. Paps Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. 
PBR me ASAP. Switching subjects, we need a uh, we need like a breaking news sounder on this thing. Yeah, that'll work for now. Go ahead. Uh, Vikings signed Michael Floyd today, uh, former Creighton Durham Hall star, coming back home uh, whenever he is, of course, done with his NFL discipline, probably stemming from his December arrest for DUI. Uh, he will sign a one-year deal with the Vikings that a source says is worth $1.5 million with incentives that could push it as high as $6 million, though many of those probably figure to be hard to reach, especially if he does start the year under some kind of NFL discipline. But Michael Floyd is a Viking coming back to his home state, adding a veteran to this group and probably having some implications for a number of other receivers in this group. Of course, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are going to be the top two guys as the sports scratch is over here. Uh, my bad. My not phone. knowing, doesn't know how to use his phone or something. I, no, I hit the wrong thing on Twitter. I'd really like to apologize. Okay, go go ahead. I, I don't know if it. anybody heard it, but now we'll call attention to it. I fixed it. Anyway, Sports Grinch is trying to derail his podcast as usual, but uh, Michael <laughs> Floyd is here. The Vikings have another receiver, possibly a guy that can give them a little bit more of a downfield threat than the guys that they've had. Adam Thielen, of course, was the the main guy they had on that front last year, and, and they certainly could use more guys. Along those lines, it'll be interesting to see what the guaranteed money is here. I mean, that that to me is going to be the big thing because, yeah, it's nice to have a contract with incentives. Yeah, he's here. But unless the guaranteed money is such that he is going to be hard to cut, I, I don't think that we should assume he's going to be on the roster. I think he'll, he'll certainly have to compete for a spot. Yeah, I would look at it that way, too. Uh, first, though, with the NFL in discipline and a possible suspension, They've been very inconsistent at how long it takes to suspend some of these guys. I mean, there have been yes, <laughs> there have been suspensions that took a year before they actually dinged a guy. Jerome right? Felton, yeah, uh, Marcel Darius of the Bills was suspended for a game or two a year after he had a positive test or an arrest for synthetic pot or whatever it might have been. So I don't know how that's going to work if they're going to make a decision midseason. When did Floyd or... get arrested last year in Arizona? Was it, it was. December. Uh, December 12th, I okay. believe. Okay. Uh, so I was sentenced in yeah. February to 24 days in prison and then 96 under house arrest, which means he will not be here uh, probably before the end of minicamp. So I don't know if they're going to miss him for a game or if he'll get suspended in 2018 if he's still playing or what will happen there. As far as what he could bring on the field, it is stuck out to me that the New England Patriots did not have him active in the Super Bowl. That makes you wonder where this guy is as a player right now because he's had these off-the-field problems with the arrests, and it's not his first or second, this last incident. And so is he still the player that he was a few years ago? Even though he's only 27, I wonder about that. His statistics were not all that good last year. 33 catches on 71 targets. If he's at his best, he's a dangerous deep threat, which this offense really needs someone specifically to stretch the field. Plus, Sam Bradford has a really nice deep ball, mm -hmm. and so any way that you can use that is great for this offense. But in my mind, it's Michael Floyd of how I think of him at his best, and what is he right now to this team? This strikes me as an attempt by, uh, by a team that is uh, scatter shooting as far as trying to find guys, right? At this point position and uh i just think it's interesting that it's not like they lack players there so clearly clearly what they're basically telling us is we've started just to look you know we lost this guy here jarius right we didn't play last year it's pretty clear that he's uh 
you know, something has transpired with him where he's not probably going to make the team now. I think what we're seeing is a team that, when it comes to the receiver position, is very, very much in flux. I mean, go back to the the fact that that all reports indicate Alshon Jeffrey, right? I mean, they made a big attempt to sign this guy, yep. and I didn't see that coming until we, we saw those reports. So this, to me, strikes strikes me now as the time where you're sort of throwing it against the wall and saying, is this guy going to stick? If not, no big deal. Uh, but the concern, obviously, is they do not feel that they have a real good group of players there, or or you probably wouldn't make this move. Yeah, and I think some of probably what you're hoping with Michael Floyd is I mean, you have – I mean, the, the, the Vikings-Notre Dame connection gets revived here, right? I mean, you, you've got former teammate in Harrison Smith, former teammate in Kyle Rudolph. I think that's all we're down to at this point. John Sullivan's gone. John Carlson's yeah, gone. Robert Brenton's gone. Yeah. But you have a couple of guys that he played in college with, and you, of course, have his network of people from his hometown, possibly old college – or not college coaches, high school coaches that would have known him. So I, I'm sure the Vikings are hoping that – you get into a situation where he's got enough people around him to help him stay on the straight and narrow. But uh, obviously, any time you're, you're talking about uh, alcohol issues, that's a, a, a gamble. I mean, we certainly know that. Uh, it's certainly going to be a, a dicey thing for him to get back on track. But if they can get something out of him, I think I certainly think it helps. And if he can stay out of trouble, it certainly helps. It, it Like you guys say, it does not exactly send a ringing endorsement. What did Jarius Wright from do? Laquan Treadwell. That's my question. What did starting with Wright? What did Jarius Wright do? And I realize he was never great, but he didn't seem terrible to me. And starting with last year, it was like he went from being okay. This guy certainly has an upside here and there. To he's not going to play. So here's my understanding on Jarius Wright, at least as far as it was explained to me late in training camp last year. The thing that really hurt him, I mean, you had obviously a lot of changes with the receiving group from the time that he signed that extension to the time that he kind of lost his role. You had Cordero Patterson kind of sort of turning over a new leaf and a guy that was going to be a bigger part of the offense. You had, the big thing was Adam Thielen, the guy, the guy that was able to play a number of different spots, the guy that could also play special teams that was able to take away some of Jerry Wright's playing time because Thielen was moving all, all over the field during the early part of the season, and I think that certainly cut into his playing time. Even Isaac Frichty, I had heard during training camp, was a guy that they liked a lot, partially because of his development as a receiver and the fact that he could play special teams. I mean, all of those things, I think, contributed to Jarius Wright kind of being marginalized during the course of training camp and then certainly on through the season. Treadwell gets added. You have Stephon Diggs emerging. So there was a lot of guys that, that weren't really in the mix when Jarius Wright signed that deal. You didn't know what you had in Stephon Diggs yet. Patterson was still a non-factor. Treadwell wasn't there. Dillon was a special teams guy. All of those pieces kind of came up and ascended past him in the Vikings' eyes. And and I was told at the end of training camp last year the Vikings were trying to trade Jarius Wright. So the fact that they weren't able to do that, they didn't want to cut him at that point. And, uh, and we'll have to see what happens with him this year. But... It is as far as my understanding goes. It was just the fact that the pieces that they had that came in after him became more compatible with their way of thinking than he was. I also think that any time in the NFL when you're talking about wide receivers, playmakers, if there's somebody better, then sorry, but you're getting bumped down. And I think Jarius Wright is very limited in his skill set and what he can do. 
uh, we saw in the Houston game where he stepped in kind of in a slot role, went across the middle a couple times, got a nine or 10 yard catch. That's about it for him, for what he can do. He is not a deep threat at all. He's not a big yard after catch threat where he can make plays like Cordero Patterson. He's not an explosive player, really. He's just a guy who, if you throw it his way on a little underneath route, can catch the ball. That's the way I look at him. And those guys are a dime a dozen. And it surprises me that they even signed him to the contract. They did. Uh, Michael Floyd though, you are forgetting and the I, iconic moment missed, of Mike Zimmer's first season in Minnesota. I was going to say, unless I missed all the uh, great Jarius Wright. 87-yard game-winning touchdown against the uh, Jets off of a zero blitz in 2014. Not yeah. not to mention the... Uh, Teddy changed the play at the line. Not to mention the deep ball against Detroit that Ponder threw him that he took down to, I believe, the one-yard line back in the Metrodome days. Yes, and, and he caught a long pass and in the Matthew game Collar. against the Packers and, that season. And that, Matthew Collar, was a nine route, so you take that. Oh, well, okay. and there was a post over the middle in that Packer game at the end of the season that he caught that uh, helped set them up to win. So, yeah, you just keep dispensing your hot takes here. Juddle and I will be here with historical context to, to oh, yes. calm them down can, a little Can bit. you pull up on your uh, computer there, Jerry's Wright's numbers, and, and show me all of these big stats that he had that would <laughs> make him a more viable wide receiver than anyone else that they I'm have? I'm just providing he anecdotes is, that you seem to have uh, Charles Johnson, conveniently forgotten. Charles Johnson. Oh, Charles had, Johnson. He had a big catch against the Giants last year. Does that and, mean and the one against the Bears. Does that, he might have saved that game. Does that mean he's a better wide receiver than Adam Thielen or no, Stephon Diggs? Or to to Charles, no, I, Charles no, Johnson was Norv Turner's greatest find. What are you guys talking about? I, I know. What? Charles Johnson, real quick on that, the only reason he came here was because of the last guy that got in trouble. Jerry's or not Jerry's, right? Sorry, Jerry's. Jerome Simpson. Uh, yeah, you're right. Because the Vikings. He had hidden his arrest. It was the week that, that Peterson got suspended. It was like the day after. The Vikings, I don't believe, knew that Simpson had gotten in trouble once again. In Bloomington. And there was some tipster on Twitter that, that tweeted at a couple of us saying, hey, do you guys know Jerome Simpson got in trouble again for, for a drinking, I think, or, or no, he had pot, in his car. pot possession yeah, he had during pot the summer? Car. So a, a couple of us went and checked it out, and yeah, sure enough, he'd gotten in trouble. I remember writing a story that day, and then about two or three hours later, the Vikings said, we have released Jerome Simpson. <laughs> uh, we talked to Mike Zimmer about it later that day. He said, we just found out about it today. So the Vikings, I don't think, knew about that one. And had Simpson been reinstated the next week, I believe his base salary would have been guaranteed. So you're welcome, guys, on that one. Uh, still waiting for the check. Uh, don't need a lot of it, just maybe 1%. What a scoop. Yeah, a scoop would be fine, too. Um, but then they, they added Charles Johnson from the practice squad the next day after getting rid of Jarius Wright. Why do I keep doing that? Jerome Simpson... Uh, well, Jarius Wright seems like a pretty good. Jarius Wright is a, is a very nice guy and doesn't seem like he gets in any trouble. I have Jarius Wright on the brain, and apparently Jerome Simpson is in my mind. And uh, apparently, very defensive about Jarius Wright's history as a Viking. Jarius I mean, Wright is very defensive about Jarius Wright's no, history you, as a Viking. You, no, you Ryan. guys are like because fi- no, no, because he made Jarius is on Twitter today. He, oh yes, he's uh retweeting his way out of Minnesota. All right, so I'm sorry. Back to Michael Floyd. The, the whole, You're getting back to Michael The whole Floyd. thing on Jerry's right is he that... this thing on there, mediocre receivers. There, there, are mu- there are much better players. Charles Johnson. With better yeah. skill sets who sure. can do much more. I was and just, that's why he's not playing. I was just curious because he just sort of disappeared. 
Uh, okay, now now let's get to the most important question because you brought this up off podcast, and I do think it's a it's a really good discussion. What happened to Michael Jenkins? Laquan Treadwell. What does this mean for Laquan Treadwell, your first-round pick? Who, By the way, we've been assured by the team who's going to get every chance to prove himself in 2017. Well, Go. I think that this means that Laquan Treadwell at this very moment is quite a ways down on the depth chart and that there are two draft picks who also have a chance to pass him. Rodney Adams and Stacy Coley. Coley. Yes, they had a lot of draft Simpson. picks, so I had to think for a second. Uh, those two guys, though, will have an opportunity, I think, to pass Laquan Treadwell. And one thing that you guys have brought up before, and I, and I think it's right that Mike Zimmer, when he's looking at the rookies, if you're ready to play, you're ready to play, and if you're not, you're not. And we saw this with Laquan Treadwell last year. Your first round pick. Too bad you're not playing because you're not ready because you can't run a 10-yard route. And Stephon Diggs, it took him a couple of games in his rookie year, but by week four, five, six, he's a regular wide receiver in the offense because he proved himself. So those two wide receivers will have that same chance, and I think that Laquan Treadwell basically comes in with having to prove, uh, prove that he deserves an NFL career more or less, this year. Right now in this camp, that's what he's going to have to show. Otherwise, I don't know what you do with him after this. When you have, It's just funny because we listen to Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman say to us he's working hard and he's, you know, just wait, guys, just wait. I like him so much and all this, but actions speak louder than words. And this says right here that everything that they were saying, well, he is a hard worker. I know that. Uh, the confidence is not very high, as it shouldn't be after a guy makes one catch in his rookie season. At the risk of this podcast turning negative, which I certainly <laughs> don't want to do. Oh no! What's interesting about not that? What's interesting about what you're talking about is at least with Cordero, as bad as sideways as things went, you could always say, "Well, the justification is." He's a great return man, right? So, like, you kept bringing him back and just saying he's going to return, he's going to return kicks, he's going to return kicks. With Laquan, to your point, Collar, what do you say? I mean, if he comes to camp and he struggles to run routes, there's nothing else he really does well, right? I mean, he's no. slow, so he can't return kicks. So, so he's a first-round pick. There's no way I don't think you're going to cut him, but what is the role that you give a guy who has no other seemingly decent attributes if he can't do the job you draft him to do, I mean, would you try to trade him? I mean, I, I, can get for him. I mean, I wouldn't give you anything. There might be somebody who's rebuilding who says, yeah, here's a fifth round draft pick for this guy you drafted in the first round that we used to like with Laquan Treadwell. I would not entirely count out that he could make some progress. Maybe he's healthier than he was before. I don't know. They cited a foot issue, but then somebody else said there wasn't a foot issue. It I think was, he said there wasn't right? a foot issue. He said there I'm wasn't a foot that, issue. I'm not buying that. After I'm Zimmer sure. said there was a foot issue, it was just that. it was just a every week we were asking. So what's going on with Laquan Treadwell? And most mysterious foot issue with a wide receiver since Wes Walker. Which one is Nobody that? remembers that. No. Sorry, Rex Ryan. Wes Walker talking oh, about that. Oh yes. Oh, that would have been a lot funnier if you guys picked no, up. No, that it. was that was good because this I was... podcast is like off the tracks. It's in the, the off ditch, season. In the ditch, it's coming it's their up fault the... for making news in the middle of it. It's, We're all distracted. It's um, coming up the hill a little bit. But I, I guess what it says to me though is that they don't see him as for sure a big part of the offense right now, and he basically has to prove 
that he deserves to be. And a one-year deal for Michael Floyd, if Michael Floyd comes in and just does his job and catches 40 passes and runs a lot of deep routes, I don't know if that's a guy you're going to pay a lot of money to stick around. So maybe what you say to Laquan Treadwell is, look, we've brought in lots of competition for you here. Now you've got to beat everybody out because last year it looked like you had a clear path to being one of our top receivers Mm -hmm. and you let us down. And let's be clear too, Floyd is the definition of a player who can get cut too. So if Treadwell plays, I I mean, the Viking, every team signs guys like this where they sign on a a day in May or June. You're like, wow, they just signed so-and-so. I wonder what his role is going to be. And then it comes full circle and you get down to final cuts and that guy's let go. So this is, it's not going to be shocking if Treadwell shows up at camp and plays well. And as you just said, the other two draft picks, let's say they perform if Floyd becomes the guy who gets cut. There are two things we should mention here before we move on to the next topic. And the first one is not one we have an answer to yet is what is the guaranteed money in Michael Floyd's contract? It's worth 1.5. Incentives could push it to six, like we said. But how much of that's guaranteed? If there's not much of it guaranteed, and I wouldn't expect that there's going to be given the fact that he is facing NFL discipline, he could be cut in training camp. Mm-hmm. I, I think sure. he's going to have to show that he can do the job, especially because of the second thing that I think we should mention is in the fact that he was sentenced on February 17th to 24 days in jail and 96 under house arrest stemming from that arrest last December for DWI. That means he cannot leave the state of Arizona until basically the end of minicamp. So you will not see him at all in the offseason program. That means if he is going to make an impression that shows he is good enough to be on this team, it is going to have to be solely in training camp when he is trying to learn an offense, trying to establish a role. He's going to have to come in and have a very good training camp to make the team. I don't, and the, We shouldn't pretend that the Vikings wide receiver group is the greatest of all time and it's impossible to crack the, the roster, but... Uh, He's going to have to make an impression very quickly because he won't be able to do it during the offseason program. And because of that, I'm guessing that the guaranteed money is very low. I would guess that as well. Especially because the Vikings are super good at handling that yes, guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. I, it might be the best thing they do as an organization. Is just is very good at that. The thing that they always seem to nail is when you look at these contracts, the Mike Remmers one. <laughs> oh, man, this guy's getting a ton of money. He yeah. wasn't even that good last Oh, well, yep. I, okay. And, now it's a one-year deal, basically. And keep in mind, too, there's a very good chance that Floyd's uh, representatives earmarked him for here because w- when you go in front of the league now to plead your case, they're going to talk about um, he's going home, support yep. systems. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so this might, be, this might not be a complete Vikings, we had to have this guy. This might be, uh, would you like my client? Because when I go in front of the disciplinary committee now, I can say my client's had some problems in the past, but he's back home. Yeah. He's got his family around yes. and, and a support system. So this could be a, a benefit to both sides if it works. And if it doesn't work and you're the Vikings and you didn't guarantee much, you know what? You release the guy and it's over. Well, you know, it's a newsy podcast for May 10th when we can go. How far into this thing are we, Collar? Uh, I don't know, 30 minutes? 30 minutes, and we have not talked at all about the the biggest news probably that broke, although it's probably not the most surprising news that broke uh, since we last recorded a podcast, and that, of course, is the fact that the Vikings declined Teddy Bridgewater's fifth-year option, which would have paid him $12.3 million in 2018. It, of course, is guaranteed for injury at the time of it being exercised, which tells you why the Vikings did not pick it up, especially given the fact that his contract would toll 
if he starts the year on the pup list and I believe spends at least six games on the pup list, he would only be on the roster for two point two million basically in twenty eighteen. What do we make of Teddy Bridgewater's future in Minnesota at this point? I don't think this changes it a whole lot, but I was curious to hear what you guys thought of that news. Well, I think that uh, what's interesting most to me is when will they really know if he's going to be able to come back or not? Because if we got, let's say we got eight weeks in, so the toll thing already happened, and he's back and he's practicing at 100%, and they're even working him in extra, he's working after practice for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they feel great about where he's at, let's just say. Now, let's say for some reason or the other, Week 17 against Chicago doesn't matter, so they want to get him back on the field. This is like a best, best, best case scenario, and he looks great and he looks fine. I think in that case, you want to turn back to Teddy Bridgewater as your franchise quarterback, right? Because he's so much younger than Sam Bradford. Even if Sam Bradford plays well and you're in a playoff spot, you'd probably be saying Teddy Bridgewater was always our franchise quarterback, our head coach, Literally loves him. In fact, we'll tell you he loves Teddy Bridgewater. That's how he started his comments when we asked him the other day. So if he that, tickled his foot, he man, and he's yeah. tied his shoe. It's, it is a it is a very and tight I like to be Brad Pitt too. But ain't none of this going to happen. A very tight relationship. Now, if he cannot get on the field in any way, shape, or form, and he's just practicing on the side, and he's just not can't be activated, which is more likely you are in a very tough spot then with Sam Bradford and what to do there. Then then you are well, either banking on the knee or you are going to have to bring Bradford back. Here's what I think. I think starting today we need to, to make a resolution to start talking about these two people as completely independent as if they're not on the same team. The comments about Bridgewater, and Zimmer was asked and talked pretty extensively about him last week, but the comments about Bridgewater from Spielman and Zimmer are all the same. They start off with vaguely reassuring things like he's a great kid yep and they end up with he's working hard and then they end with but he's got a long way to go mm-hmm. which is which is code for we have no idea if he's going to play again it, we should pause so, briefly though and note the fact that for whatever it's worth mike zimmer did say last week that he's more optimistic now about bridgewater coming back than he ever has been parse that how you like as but a, we like, should add uh, that to the record. coach perhaps someday or something these are vaguely this is this is this is this reminds me of doctors talking about someone who's been diagnosed with a disease and everyone likes the person so they really are hoping the person's going to be fine and so they say these assuring things like yeah he, this guy's a fighter well, yeah, he's a fighter, but he's got a bad disease. With Bridgewater, <laughs> when Zimmer says stuff like, ah, oh, man, I love the kid, and he's working hard, and, and he might play again, and I'm, I'm – listen. These the opinions guys, of Judd Zolga do not necessarily represent the opinions of the Purple Podcast, know, just, nor of 1500 ESPN or 1500ESPN.com. The, the reality of this league is it's a brutal league. This guy suffered a brutal injury. Everybody likes him, and he seems like an eminently likable human being, but he might be done. So the other part of this conversation to me involves this, Sam Bradford. What's your decision going to be? But, Collar, to your point, I'm beginning to get the impression that these two things are never going to collide and dovetail. I think you're going to have to make a decision on Bradford based on how Bradford plays with the system totally geared towards him. And I think there's a fight and chance that Bridgewater remains done. And so you're never going to get to this, well, Teddy might come back. 
I think the brutal decision that's going to have to be made is should we sign Sam Bradford long-term based on what we see, based on is he our quarterback? Because if he's not, there's a very good chance we're going to have to go find a quarterback. I'd like to point out that Judd had several slices of pizza before this broadcast, which may have affected Three his Three slices of state. pizza and a big Diet Dr. Pepper, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I bought you one. But and, no, and no, I already bought me that. one. Come on. I just don't like it. it because you show up late. Because you show up late. Here's my one true. frustration. My one frustration I was is volunteering with is, high schoolers this morning. And my had fr- to get here. My later. frustration is really saving simple. the youth of America, Judd. Football people. Football people want to tell you what's what until they decide that they're going to tell you the good news. Their sport's brutal. It's an awful sport. The business stinks, and the reality is Bridgewater's probably he might be done. This is a great sports crunch rant. But here. it's just if Zimmer would get up there and say, guys, I have no idea. You saw it. I saw it. His leg snapped like a twig. It was really bad. Yeah. His career might be done. I I understand that Teddy's liked. I appreciate that. Might be a really, really good guy for all all I know. He's a saint. But the reality is, Sam Bradford, the, that decision is going to be have be totally different than the fact that Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater might be an assistant coach in a year or two. Well, here is the, the thing that makes this tricky in my mind. Uh, and Kyle, you alluded to it a little bit. If they're in a situation, I, I think we all think Teddy Bridgewater is going to start the year on the pup list. If he is ready to play, best case scenario, call it week 13, week 14, something in that neighborhood, I, I think that would be probably on the optimistic side of things. There are two scenarios in which he is on the field. One is you are playing so well that you have clinched everything you need to clinch, and the fact that Sam Bradford has had a great year probably has helped you get there and you're saying okay we are going to give Teddy a chance to prove himself uh to, to see what what we have in him but we have clinched enough spots of where we need to be probably because of what Sam Bradford has done which is going to have a big say in whether Sam Bradford is here long term the other scenario in which Teddy Bridgewater is playing is probably not one the Vikings want to see happen that scenario is we are out of it. We have no chance to go to the playoffs. We might as well evaluate the kid for the future. And that, of course, raises the question of who is going to be making the decisions about the future. Because if if, if by the time Teddy Bridgewater is ready to play, you're out of it, you're going to have to have some pretty big questions about who's going to have a job. And if it's one game, and maybe it's week 17, and it doesn't, maybe they go 8-8 eight and eight again, or 9-7 or and seven and, and miss the playoffs, and it doesn't matter, or they've... They've clinched something, and it's one game. I, I don't really know how much you get out of one game, especially if you're playing the Bears in Week 17 and they're not probably playing for anything either. I mean, you're going to need to see that he can move around, that he can take a hit, that he can make throws while he's doing things on the run. I mean, all of the things that you want to see him do again, and not to mention uh, assimilating to an offense that has changed quite a bit since he was last the quarterback. I think you're going to need more than one game to see that. So either the scenario where you get that to happen is where you're playing really, really well, in which case Sam Bradford probably has earned himself a contract, or you're playing really, really badly, in which case you have to ask who the decision makers are going to be weighing in on Teddy Bridgewater's future. There is the grayest of the gray scenario where where Bridgewater... What does Jerry Gray have to do with this? Very good defensive back coach, from my understanding. Uh, When... Bridgewater comes back, let's just say, and he's good enough to get in a game, and you have clinched, but Sam Bradford had the exact same year he had last okay. year statistically. Okay. He's pretty mediocre in yards per attempt. He's just okay. He still struggles on third down. 
He's got some nice touchdown throws. He's also got some late game mistakes that cost them. So but, he's Andy Dalton near the Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, but so the, Mike Zimmer's the, whole career in Cincinnati. The replayed. run game is amazing, and the defense is amazing. Nobody gets hurt the whole season long, and Bridgewater comes back and he looks pretty decent. So you're saying to yourself, now what? Do we just go to Bridgewater next year? So they're a playoff, they're a playoff they're, team? Right, they're a playoff team, oh, but I, I Bradford you, was just okay. I can tell you right now, if that's the case, the, the praises of Sam Bradford will be sung throughout the Twin Cities as he manages the game perfectly. You should sign him. You should sign him. And football management, in my opinion, is not going to run the risk of reintroducing an injured quarterback who might be able to come back or not when they've just deducted that they have a successful offense. That The storyline under your scenario right there will be this. Pat Shermer and Bradford, are they, they run the orchestra beautifully. They might not be stars, but the running game works. The offensive line was good, and Sam manages this perfectly, and this gives us our best chance. And I don't think that Spielman or any other football executive, for the most part, has the guts to abandon that at that point. That's my guess. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. I, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of that stuff kind of trends towards self-preservation. If you are making playoff runs and you want to keep your job, it doesn't make a ton of sense to rock the boat, especially at that position. Now... You would. Sorry to well, pop your balloon. No, no, no. But but you Sam would. Bradford but it, it won't just be my balloon. Right. It won't just be my balloon. It will be Mike Zimmer's balloon, I think. Well, I yeah, think it could be. Even if the, if they got to the playoffs on the back of a Mike Zimmer defense, which you could definitely see. I mean, sure. where Xavier Rhodes is right now, where Daniel Hunter is right now. Play it out. You could easily be a top three defense and make the playoffs yep. with mediocrity from Sam Bradford and yep. have the general manager want Bradford long term and the head coach saying, but I love Teddy Bridgewater and he looks okay to me, so let's go that direction. But guess who's got control of the 53-man roster? And more importantly, who did you hire your offensive coordinator? And when do you have to make this decision? Are you waiting until March? It gets awfully expensive. The franchise tag is always there for me. It, I, I, yeah, that makes true. it that makes it expensive. You like but that? I I look at what Washington I, has I, done with Cousins. I still I still I still think like I still think you are losing maybe losing you're sight. I am on fire. You're today. losing sight of a very important fact. The fact of the matter is, we are at some point as we get into training camp, this contract situation is going to start to boil. Like to think that you're actually going to to tell Sam, just be patient, Sam, just be patient. Ideally, you're right. But it's not what happened the last time he was told that, too. But it's going to start to boil. The Condon, Tom Condon is a power agent. He ain't going to sit there. He got too many minions in the national media. This is going to start to boil. He, it, might, it might not get done, but it's going to boil. Bradford skipped uh, a portion of the Eagles camp last year, did he not? When It was either when he hadn't had a contract done or because he they drafted Carson Wentz. Uh, last spring when they started their offseason uh, camp after they drafted Wentz, their their OTAs. He, yeah. he didn't show up, and they got and Condon and Bradford got killed in Philadelphia. Though. Yeah, different set of people covering that team and covering this team. Right, right. What are you saying? No offense, but yeah, it's a very different environment. Some taken, not really. It's a very no. You you can take offense, but I'm not. It's an, it's <laughs> You're a, correct. I'm not it's taking an incredibly any different, it is a very different environment. environment. Vikings fans aren't going to be the the same way. I'm just saying this is all. If this was black and white, it would be great, but it's not going to be. It's going to get really murky, and it could get ugly. I just think that there's a precedent now, and I think a lot of teams are trying to do it when they have a quarterback 
that they are not 100% sold on. I mean, even with the 49ers in the contract that they signed Colin Kaepernick to, they reworked that. And Andy Dalton's contract, Ryan Tannehill's, they all look big when they announce them, sure. but they're secretly not that big and allow the team to get out of them, right? Like, they're a bunch of teams with these middle-of-the-road quarterbacks. That's what they're doing. So they might be able to do that with Bradford again if they wanted to, maybe an option to get out of it after a year or something like that. But I think that there are a lot of quarterbacks who are like Bradford, who are not that proven, but have some talent and might be able to get you to 10 and six or 11 and five who have been standing on rocky ground for a while. Right. And I, I think that if you're the Vikings, you say you can call all you want Tom Condon, but this is our situation and we're going to stick to it despite what you want. All I'm saying is that teams will tell you distractions aren't a big deal. We don't care. That's BS. They care. The Vikings, I believe, are one of four teams in the league, I looked this up a week or so ago, that do not have a quarterback signed for the 2018 season. Hmm. No Taylor Heineke? They've got one no, told. He's an RFA. They do have one told. Potentially. I, I suppose West Lunt is signed for Watch your mouth. the 2018 season. <laughs> Lunt with an L. Thank you very much. Lunt. I like that. a laugh out of collar. Anyway, <laughs> I just think it's going to get interesting, and I really think the Bradford contract – Discussion and situation is going to boil here at some point. And I think you need to save the pizza till after the podcast. Yeah, we need to get out of here. This is no, the uh, pizza was good. It was free too. They brought it in. It's been eventful. It's been uh, controversial. Probably news. it's it's had <laughs> breaking news. Ever. It's had well, we have breaking news in this thing all the time. I think Adam yeah. Thielen's deal went down. When we were recording uh, this. Remmers and Reef. I think yep. both signed. We, we did that. Oh, we stopped gone. recording between two podcasts. I think. Well, he was probably off pretending to be a hockey writer. Or something. I was in New York sure. for that one. I believe boys vacationing. Well, we've had hot takes. We've had hot news. We hope uh, you've enjoyed this podcast, and we will try to behave better next time.